Welcome to episode 13 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we're recording this episode on Monday, June 3rd, 2019. Uh, As many of you probably already know, uh, this past weekend was opening weekend for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out at the Disneyland Resort. And I am joined today by my friend and co-host, Tom, who is also now a de facto captain of the Millennium Falcon, along with his... uh, Lovely wife, Michelle, who played a uh, vertically challenged and much less hairy Chewbacca to his Han Solo. Uh, Tom, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. Yes, quite a different size for Chewbacca over there and uh, much prettier for sure. (laughs) Michelle was on that seat. So, yeah, I mean, let's jump right into it. Uh, I We've been waiting for this for, I believe it's about four years since it was originally announced, and uh, you and I have been talking about it quite a bit leading up to the opening of the land here at Disneyland Resort, but you guys finally got a chance to get out there on Saturday and get into the land for about a four-hour stint. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that played out for you? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, really, there's no other words for it. it was, it's an incredible place. It lives up to the hype. We'll just start off right with that. Uh, so we started off, um, one, it was, a, it was a fantastic day at the Disneyland Resort in general. Was really, the crowds were extremely low, we were, so we got to do a bunch of stuff. Our windows were was from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., so uh, we went over to Disneyland Park, checked in at the launch bay at... Uh, noon and got our wristbands and then they had a bunch of different merchandise over there that is kind of opening weekend stuff you know star wars galaxy's edge landing at disneyland resort in may of 2019 we were there on june 1st but it opened on the 31st um then you could go kind of go through that and then they gave you specific gates to go through i don't know how much were allotted to each gate but we got uh, what we received was the critter country gate which if you don't know Disneyland, if you, if you go past the Haunted Mansion uh, back there, there's uh, Splash Mountain and uh, many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And uh, there's a restaurant there, the Hungry Bear Restaurant. Uh, there's an, uh, And they created an entrance into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that way. And we were lucky enough to or, or kind of waited in the right place that we were pretty much up front of our group to get into the land and um, they started us at 1.30 and they would just give us lay, they would push us a little bit forward as we get closer and closer and we'd get more and more into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge kind of out by where, where we entered is where the resistance area is and so just like every five minutes or so we would move about 50 feet forward and uh, as you enter in the land and you start to see the spires and you start to see some of the ships and everything. And it was uh, kind of emotionally overwhelming for sure. Oh, I, I imagine you weren't the only one who was having an emotional moment seeing a lot of that stuff. I mean, 
most of us, we grew up watching Star Wars and certainly fantasized about being able to step into that world and kind of have our own adventure. And, you know, they finally found a way to make that a reality. And from everything I've heard, they've just done an incredible job of really making you feel like you are on a different planet, that you are within this world of Black Spire Outpost and living, you know, in one of these Star Wars scenarios, um, you know, in a location that we haven't seen before in the films. I know it's been mentioned uh, in a few of the books that they've put out, but um, it just looks like they've done an incredible job with the theming, with the immersion, uh, the cast members, and, uh, you know, the outfits that they've got them in. And, uh, you know, even the, the dialect or the language that they're speaking, it's still English, but um, definitely uh, some different phrases that they're throwing around within Galaxy's Edge. Right. So everything, um, I, I didn't get, even get all the phrases there, but uh, when you greet somebody, it's Bright Suns. That's how you greet somebody. That's basically how you say hello. And uh, there's a couple phrases, but the main phrase for saying goodbye to anyone is Till the Spire. Uh, speaking of the big black spire that is the, kind of the center of the land. Uh, but yeah, the the, uh, the cast members there, the Batuans are amazing. Uh, they, they caught me one time. And it's so funny because I studied this and I knew this in uh, that they wouldn't kind of they would react to you in different ways and you know have their own language or not really language but their own phrasing and uh, there'd be a couple of things that they might trip you up on and so one of the things we were purchasing something at one of the shops I think it was the Droid Depot and one of the the, uh, the Batuans asked me so where are you traveling from and we said you know we just and I, I I've heard this before and I but it just kind of passed by the wayside because you know you've been to Disneyland. Uh, cast members will often strike up a conversation when ask you where you've come from or whatever. And I said, San Diego. And she said, where's that? Because, you know, they have no idea what San Diego is. You know? That's in the mid-rim, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So I, as soon as I as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, I just got nailed. <laughs> so I just started to laugh. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like reminds you a little of Naboo. You know? So, oh, okay. Well, I don't get to travel much away from here. But, you know, that too, it's kind of, it was just so funny. Yeah, these poor uh, poor cast members living in a back end dead water of a uh, of a planet right on the the galactic rim, right? Um, yeah. So in regards to uh, the process getting into the land, it sounds like they had it pretty well organized. And it's funny that you mentioned you know the low crowds and everything, just because that was really going to be the question for a lot of people. You know, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. You had certain people who were like, I actually have to be there the opening weekend. And then other people who were really concerned about what that was going to do in terms of crowds and uh, steering away. But it sounds like it definitely, uh, at least the way they approached it out at Disneyland Resort, um, really kind of helped to moderate the pain of getting into and out of the land and, you know, give you some pretty reasonable wait times. Uh, I know they've only got the one attraction, uh, the the Smuggler's Run attraction, the Millennium Falcon attraction uh, open currently. But, uh, you know, how, how did it seem to affect the wait times for the various areas inside the land? Smuggler's Run would vary throughout the day. And I watched this uh, kind of plotting to go in as it opened up on uh, the Friday, the May 31st, knowing that we were going in the next day to kind of get an idea of how it would work. And it would fluctuate throughout the day. It, it could jump up to about 90 minutes when there was crossover windows. So let's just say uh, if you were in the 11 to 3 window and you were trying to get in there and the, hit the 2 to 6 window, okay, so there was some crossover there between two to three that two groups would be in there at the same time. And then especially the new group going in, most everybody is heading to the attraction first thing off. So that suddenly the wait time would jump up significantly. However, if you waited till there was just your group in there, so if you were in the two to six group like we were, that would be from three o'clock 
to five o'clock, whereas just your group, as the time went by, the attraction rate would drop and it would get down to 15 minutes at 15, 20 minutes at time. So you could actually ride it a couple times if you wanted to. We did a couple other things. We didn't do it. We almost did. We almost decided to go back and and try it again. But uh, we really wanted to get into Oga's Cantina, which really had the wait almost the whole uh, time we were there. That is the one place, because it's a very limited amount of space, it's a lot of standing room only, and you can be in there. They do cut off your time limit to 45 minutes, but you can be up there 45 minutes in there. So it, that was very popular to get into. And so that was probably the one place where you could say that there was a consistent 45 minute or so at least wait time. Yeah, I would think that, uh, you know, Oga Guerra, the proprietor of Oga's Cantina, would certainly be one of the few Batuans that can afford to travel off-world, given uh, the prices I saw for some of the commemorative mugs. I I know they had a, uh, like, a beer sampling flight um, that was served in a set of four ranker teeth, essentially, uh, on a wooden serving board, and I want to say that was like $75. I know there was another drink that you were looking at, uh, the mug, and the beverage itself was uh, 42 I think. For the Yub Nub. I even asked, because I wanted to have a Yub Nub. I'm like, can I get that without the souvenir glass? And then they're like, no, I'm sorry, that only comes with the souvenir glass. So I didn't get to sample the Yub Nub, because I didn't really feel like, uh, I like souvenir glasses, but I didn't feel like paying, uh, whatever, $25 on top of the uh, price of it. What is a, they were all pretty pricey drinks, but they were all actually, the ones we tried, we we ended up doing the uh, Bespin Fizz and, um, oh shoot, what was the other one that we did? Uh, oh, the Fuzzy Tauntaun. Fuzzy Tauntaun, yes. Uh, the Bespin Fizz and the Fuzzy Tauntaun. And uh, they were both very, they were both delicious. We liked them both. Uh, the Bespin Fizz is interesting in that it, uh, it it does this bubbling and smoking thing, kind of steaming thing. I think there's some dry ice or whatever sort of concoction in there, but it is very interesting as it comes to your table. And uh, we just, we enjoyed it. We had a great time in there. DJ Rex is pumping out the hits. And uh, it just it feels very much like if you it, it's not like any other Star Wars cantina you've seen in a film, but it feels very much that when you walk in there, just the same. Yeah, it, it definitely seems to have a lot of the stylization that they had in uh, the cantina from the original Star Wars film, just in terms in terms of some of the uh, you know shapes of the drink dispensers behind the bar. But it looks like they have a lot more back there. Um, my understanding was that I think that they were actually pre-mixing most of the drinks just to kind of keep it flowing because they knew it was going to be very busy. And I was really interested to hear if that in any way was going to affect the taste of the beverages. And from the sound of it, it doesn't at all. No, we we enjoyed ours. Uh, we ended up, actually, I ordered the uh, Bespin Fizz and Michelle ordered the Fuzzy Tauntaun. And we tasted them both. We liked them both, but we liked the other one's <laughs> drink a little better. So we swapped <laughs> off and traded it. And uh, we enjoyed both of them. The uh, the fuzzy tauntaun is interesting. It's really got this, you know, it's got this nice kind of peach hint to it. But it's got this interesting. I don't know what it is to it, but it almost like gives a little numbing sensation to your tongue and to your lips. Uh, it's really a fascinating drink. Our server explained that to us. We're like, really? Why? And then we try it. We're like, yeah, that's that's really odd. But you know, it just makes you feel like it's this another uh, otherworldly drink. You know, it's so cool. <laughs> That is really cool because, I mean, I hadn't heard any of the drinks described that way before, but, you know, you look at the fact that they've got, uh, you know, obviously the naming of most of the dishes and the drinks is different than what you'd find in a, in a typical bar. And then the way that they're served is certainly another thing that enhances the the feeling of it being kind of otherworldly. But the fact that now they're actually adding in, you know, sensations that uh, would be unusual when you're drinking a beverage is uh, something I hadn't heard mentioned before. And that's a really cool aspect of uh, Oga's Cantina. 
Yeah, then they it was just really enjoyable. But the atmosphere itself, I, I really think we were kind of at an offside. Most of the places there are a few booths for kind of larger groups, but most thing, most everything is standing room. You do little tables. You can sit at the or stand at the bar, and that's kind of nice. Or it seemed like everybody was enjoying themselves at the bar. Uh, one side of the room does DJ Rex on it. The other side, we were kind of. We, I kind of told Michelle, I'm like, we're kind of in the area where all the the backroom deals and everything happen. You know, where you're trying to we. Should be pitching up a deal to smuggle some spice somewhere because we were kind of stashed off in a dark corner and everything. But you can get out and walk around and check out and take pictures, which we did. Uh, it just had a great feel. And uh, that, it, one of the places we'll be heading back to when, at our next chance to, to get to Batu for sure. Well, I'm certainly hoping we can meet up out there in September uh, if we can make that work, because I think that'd be a good time. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing some of the music that they've created just for that particular uh, cantina environment. Uh, I've heard a couple of clips at Star Wars Celebration, and they sounded just perfect. They seem to fit the world awesome and uh, seem to be really kind of catchy tunes. Yeah, they break into some new songs and some of your old favorite cantina classics as well as you're in there. So it'll feel uh, very much at home for you if you know the Star Wars cantinas of old. Now, the interesting thing with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, in terms of like the Disney Park experience is that they've already mentioned this is the biggest expansion that they've ever done at both the parks. Uh, And in comparison to something like a Pandora for anyone who's been there at Disney's Animal Kingdom Park at Walt Disney World Resort or even uh, Toy Story Land, which Toy Story Land, uh, I think, was 11 acres compared to the 14 acres they've used for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But it really looks like they crafted the land in a way that there's a lot of walking space. Um, and, and it just seems like there's a lot of area in there. I mean, how did that feel for you guys when you were in there with the crowds that you were dealing with? Did you feel like you could kind of move through the land fairly easily? It depends on when you were, well, if you're in the resistance area, which is the off, I was telling you where we got brought through, it's kind of the offshoot and where eventually rise of the resistance, the, the attraction that'll be opening up sometime later this year, uh, will be, and maybe that'll change the flow over there. But that kind of area was just, you can just kind of stroll around. There'll be a few people there. There's some. Uh, photographers over there where no one was waiting. So we got pictures in front of uh, an X-Wing and an A-Wing, which was great. So that was pretty wide open. Um, And a lot of it was pretty, when when it was just your group, whatever your your group was in, you could walk through pretty much everywhere. When there was combined groups, whether it be the one that was there before you or the one that was there after you, then it would get a little crowded in like the marketplace. Um, Over where the most popular area, of course, is where they have the life-size Millennium Falcon there, and there's lots of people there. Plus, there's Ogus Cantina, which is right next to that, and the, uh, the started the queue for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. So that would be pretty crowded in and around there. Um, but other than that, you really could walk around, peruse things. The shops themselves in the marketplace are really small. They really feel like, you know, there's just some uh, off-world trader or whatever trying to, you know, just make his way by renting the small space within this marketplace. Uh, so they could get a little crowded at times, but you still had plenty of time to get in there and kind of walk around. And there's so much to see and look at uh, as you're as you're in the shops, outside the shops. It really is wonderful to take in. 
Yeah, I just uh, you know, and going back into the the theming of the land, it I've seen some photos of it, I've seen some videos of it. Um what was the feel of it in regards to it looked like they had a lot of kind of in-world items that were being used for other purposes, kind of like they were, you know, discarded refuse and the denizens of uh, Black Spire Outpost had kind of put them to use for other things like, uh, you know, R2 droid that was being used as a trash can or, you know, anything like that. Um, what kind of stuff did you guys notice uh, that would kind of fit the bill for that? Well, I tell you, we didn't even scratch the surface of noticing all the detail out there. But I know one thing we saw several times where like there would be uh, the, the, the heads, the domes of uh, like some astromech droids that would be used as kind of for lamps. And, uh, you know, we would you'd go around and you'd look up and uh, there'd be pieces of droids or some other metal off of other ships or whatever that would be like used as wind chimes outside of it. There'd be a stairs leading up to a little apartment and there's a mop and a bucket outside of it. And then there's these wind chimes out. We're using pieces of that. And uh, just, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. And it's so funny because, and I know they, they, they told us this going in that, this is going to look like it's a very dated area that has been around for thousands of years and it's brand new. And even when you walk into uh, like Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, it, it almost there's almost a little bit of a new car smell to it. But when you're walking around, it still looks very old. They did a good job of making things look aged. Um, you know, it looks like there's uh, a lot of places where blaster bolts have hit or, you know, things have smashed through and broken off uh, out of the, the whatever the stone structure is. And uh, and there's a lot of aging marks and moss, and uh, it's just really, really well done for sure. Well, and I know we've talked in past shows, both on uh, this podcast as well as the Hyperion Adventures podcast, in covering some of the uh, prequel films, that one of the things that we always love so much about Star Wars and that was so unique about Star Wars is that they everything wasn't shiny and flashy and glitzy and new. I mean, they always did right from the beginning, um, you know, with the new hope they had done an incredible job of making items in world feel like they were used. And, uh, you know, with the rebellion, like everything they had been kind of scraped together and gotten up and running. So it seems like they've really carried that over into this land, uh, which is a very promising sign in terms of, uh, you know, what, what they've done and how that's going to work for most, especially the old school Star Wars fans. So um, I do remember, and and I had the benefit of hearing uh, you recount a lot of this on your podcast. So certainly anyone who's interested uh, in catching more information about this could go check out uh, Hyperion Adventures podcast. Tom and Michelle just had their one year anniversary this week, and uh, it was a great show. Lots of information about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But uh, I know that you guys had mentioned something about hearing starships while you guys were in the land. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, as you're walking through the land, just every once in a while, they, they have these interesting sound effects that'll drop in you. And every once in a while, they'll have the sound effect of like an X-Wing flying over, or uh, sometimes it's the sound of a pod racer going by or whatever. And every time it happens, you know it's not there. I mean, you'd like to believe it's there, but you know it's not. But everybody looks up because that's how authentic it sounds and feels as it's happening. And the, the way they've, uh, I don't know, placed the speakers or whatever they do to make it sound like it's passing by. It's it, it really is impressive. And we had a kind of an overcast day. So I, I think Michelle pointed out, like, it's it's also nice because it's an overcast day. So you can really believe that, you know, maybe they are flying right over the clouds right there and you just can't see them. So, But it, it's really authentic. It, it, everything feels so authentic when you're in there. And it, it really is. They've done a magnificent job for sure. That is so cool because uh, in this day and age, there are so many great 
theme parks and this idea of this immersive theming is something that's really started to come out. I know they've done it with Diagon Alley and and the the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at the Universal Parks. And this just seems to be taking that to the entire next level. Obviously, this has got a lot more space to move around than a Diagon Alley would. But the fact that they're also incorporating these other elements, and like you said, I mean, if, if the sounds are so realistic and, the, and people are getting themselves so immersed into this land that they're looking up to see that ship as it goes by. Um, I know you said there were some uh, nice little features around Oga's Cantina while you're waiting outside where you kind of get a little bit of that uh, environmental sound going. But I, the one thing I have to know is you guys had a chance to to ride Smuggler's Run, and it sounds like you guys got a pretty premium uh, selection in terms of what role you were f- uh, filling on that flight. Yeah, so I, I won't give it all the detail. I'm going to keep this somewhat spoiler-free out there because there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens as you're queuing into this attraction and on the attraction itself. But uh, you kind of go through, and it, the, the queue is really magnificent to look at. Whether you're, you know, we kind of got there at a time when we could get on in 15 minutes. We got in really quickly, uh, but there was some really cool elements to check out if you are waiting in line there for a while. Um, saw that, went through, you you get to one part where you meet Hondo Anaka, and the audio animatronic for that, and now I know we've all, or many of us have seen the video of it so far, but when you see it in front of you, it's incredible. It is so good. Like, you almost believe that it, that really is Hondo up there speaking with you, and maybe it was. Who knows? Uh, but it, it's impressive. There's some things that happen that will bring a tear to your eye if you're a huge Star Wars fan and have been for so long. Um, and you get in, and you know, they, they, once, he, once he gives you the instructions, you kind of go through, and they put you to get into your team of six people. We actually were five because uh, we had one that was a single rider and there wasn't another single rider nearby. So we just kind of went with a team of five. We happened to be lucky enough that we were the first ones to go. They hand you a card uh, with your group color. We were we were a red group and it gives you your role on there and they handed it to us and it said pilot on it. And I wept. Michelle screamed and it was amazing to get that. And we had, you know, the other roles are as an engineer and as gunners. Um, and uh, everybody plays a part and it. you know, you, you do have different things to do within it. You get Once you get your part, they end you uh, going through a corridor, and then you walk into the main living space, uh, basically, what you would consider, I don't know, the family room of the Millennium Falcon, you know, where the game table is, and... Uh, where, you know, Luke was uh, using the, you know, learning how to fight with a lightsaber with the, uh, the the sphere and everything. And um, and you get in there and you have a little bit of time in there to take pictures. You can get a t- picture taken behind the, the gaming table. And eventually they call group by group and they called red group. And you go in and they, they explain to you, you get your seats on there. And again, you weep again as you walk into the actual uh, the, the actual cabin of the Millennium Falcon and take the controls and they tell you how it all works and then you go through and you complete your task as best as you can. I know some people didn't do well. We did kind of halfway well. I think we got ours 50% done about and actually Hondo congratulated us on doing a fairly good job. So uh, we were pretty happy about that. That's awesome. Uh, it sounds like you certainly get some time to actually check out the, you know, the the hold area of the Falcon that you were talking about earlier. I do think they missed an opportunity there. I thought it would have been a great idea for them to have Chewbacca in there adopting Porgs out uh, to guests. 
um, given the I didn't see it because we were just kind of taking everything. But I've, I've heard somewhere that there is an actual porg nest in that room. Yeah, I've actually I've seen that as well. And the other cool thing about that, uh, just from some of the uh, I've seen some brief overviews of the queue for that particular attraction. And obviously, everyone wants to get their picture taken out in front of the Millennium Falcon. It's just such an iconic uh, photo to get taken. But the cool thing about that queue seems to be that as you're winding through Onaka Transport Solutions, is that there are numerous places where you go by viewports that are looking out over the Falcon. And there's plenty of places it looks like while you're standing in line to actually get a picture with the Falcon in the background. Yeah, there's some, uh, as you get past one point where it's kind of some windows that just overlook uh, the top of the Falcon itself, kind of the rear end of it. And you just walk by that and it, it's it got all the detail work, everything you've seen in all the movies. Um, it looks magnificent. I mean, what, I mean, the Falcon looks magnificent from all the angles out there. They did a really good job with it. It looks completely accurate to anything you've seen in, in the movies. And when you get over through these windows, there's like, I think there's either three or four different uh, big glass windows that overlook the rear of the Falcon. So yeah, you can get some pictures there. I mean, it's plenty easy. They usually at, at the front of it outside, they have a photographer out there, a Disney photographer who will be uh, taking your pictures. You can queue up for that, but there's also plenty of space that if you want to just get a selfie or if someone else will take a picture for you or whatever, you can do that. That's what we did. Uh, there's also a, a space uh, just to the, if you're heading, looking at the Falcon, to the left of it, that's kind of an elevated space where the, uh, the uh, docking uh, Bay 7 food and cargo is. There's an elevated space right there that's kind of on the same level as the Falcon and you can get uh, some good pictures just of the Falcon itself or a selfie or someone can take a picture of you there too. So there's lots of great angles. They thought this out. They knew people would want their picture with the Falcon and so they it, they gave you many chances and many ways to do it. Awesome. Did you uh, did you have any experience with uh, any of the merchandise? I mean, were you guys just kind of looking this time around and, you know, thinking for future visits what you might want to get? Or did you actually go through the process of purchase, purchasing anything within the land? We, we we mostly looked around. We purchased a couple small trinkets here and there. Um, we were mostly looking around. We didn't uh, like the Droid Depot. If you wanted to go build your own droid, uh, there was a line for that. And that looked interesting. We actually may do that the next time we're there. We're debating it right now. But if you don't want to build, you can still going in the Droid Depot and they have some things that are already pre-made there that you can purchase or look at. They have a fully functioning R2-D2 there that you, if you want to purchase them, it's $25,000, but uh, whether even if you don't, it's interactive. It's moving around. It'll talk to you. You can take a picture uh, with R2. It's it's really great. Uh, we did also go through the marketplace. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get into Doc Undar's uh, Den of Antiquities. There was a line always to get into there and it just didn't work into our schedule. That may be one of the top things we go uh, to the next time we're there. Uh, but we did get through the marketplace and checked out the shops many times. Uh, the creature stall is great. There's so many different types of creatures there. I know the Loth cats were really popular. They were going out a lot. But even if you don't purchase anything in there, in many of these shops, uh, just look around because like in the, the creature stall, they had these uh, kind of hanging cages or baskets up above. And every once in a while, there would be some eyes that would peek out of it or there'd be some sounds or like a, they'd have a twig in there and that would move around. It was, you know, you could just see these little details happening everywhere. Uh, it, the, the merchandise inside the, um, uh, the outfitters there, the Batu outfitters were, I mean, there's some really great Jedi 
robes and uh, Jedi garb and some garb from some of the other that are similar to some of the other characters within the Star Wars universe. I was really intrigued by that, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to spend any on this right now. But it was so good. Uh, there just is there's so many little interesting things. The toy shop has. Um, lots of interesting little games and puzzles, and of course they have the 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 various made that look like handmade dolls. Of uh, the Yoda one is adorable. They they have a that they have uh, a Ahsoka Tano one. They have a Darth Vader one, Stormtrooper, all sorts of a Jabba the Hutt one, which is actually the cutest I've ever seen Jabba the Hutt look in my life. Uh, and they're, they're, but it's just it's just fun to just walk through and peruse and see all the sites. And even if you don't go in through there, the marketplace itself has it, it. Just it looks you really feel like I was I was walking through there with my jaw open because it looks like you're walking through a marketplace that you've seen anywhere in Star Wars. Like not the same, but it, it has that feel to it. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny that you mentioned Ahsoka because uh, I meant to tell you this uh, earlier, but hadn't hadn't thought about it. When you guys were getting ready to go into the land, uh, Ashley Eckstein was po- uh, posting pictures on her Instagram account. She was actually in the land with Dave Filoni uh, and a couple other people. So I'm like, oh, that'd be pretty cool if they actually ran across any of those folks while you guys were in there. But I'm sure with the crowds that were floating around, it would have been easy to miss someone like that, even if they were 10 feet away. Yeah, I was too busy. I mean, I don't, I don't think I paid hardly attention to anybody that was there outside of some of the characters that were walking around because I was just too busy looking at everything there was to look at there. And I, like I said, I don't think we scratched the surface of seeing all the detail work, uh, you know, all the different nuanced areas that are, are, are throughout this land. Um, I think you could go back a hundred times and not see everything. I mean, it really is incredible. They, they've done a they've done an amazing job and i feel like i'm i'm gushing over what disney's done there but it's it's everything we hoped for when we heard this 4 years ago and then we saw when michelle and i were at the D23 expo in 2017 where they had the mock up the model of the whole land and you look at it you're like wow that looks great uh but it's still 2 years away and you get there and now you finally get there and it's it's like i said it's everything you could have hoped for yeah, and it seems to be really cool. A lot of the pictures I've seen uh, of the land, they have a lot of different levels to it. So you can be down in one level and you can kind of see everything around you and then go up a set of stairs. And all of a sudden, you've got an entire new vista that's opened up in front of you, uh, you know, to kind of feast your eyes on. And it definitely looks like you could go in there, not eat a single bite of food, not have a single drink, not go into any of the shops, not ride any of the attractions, and you could keep yourself busy for the entire day just looking at all the details and certainly playing with the Datapad um, app that the uh, Play Disney Parks app turns into when you walk into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Right. We were so busy doing all this other stuff. We were Actually, we, we were waiting because they would hold us many times at different spots to go in. And Michelle was calling up the Play Disney app trying to get ready to like, okay, we're going to do some of these data pads or opening up some of these crates or whatever. Uh, we were so busy doing all the other stuff and just checking out and seeing all there was to see that we never got to play the games. Uh, so we're excited to be able to uh, get a chance to do that at some time in the future. Yeah, it's it's, cool. it's 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 amazing. And when you get there, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to love this land. It's it really is incredible. Now, uh, now that you guys have been there, and I know that you've talked that you guys have another uh, reservation to potentially go back on June 22nd. What would your advice be for uh, you know a guest who hasn't been to this land before and is maybe looking at uh, a good way to approach that? 
Prioritize. Uh, that's the key. What do you want to do? Um, I, I'll tell you, and I, I just mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, if you want to do Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, that's one of your things. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be the first thing you do. If it looks open, like it was for us, you can go in and do that. But it will, at least with these reservations. Now, everything changes when we get to June 24th, when the reservations go out. I have no idea how to, how to interact with this land when that happens. But as far as the reservations right now go... There's going to be a time somewhere in the third hour of your visit, probably. And, and if you're lucky enough to have one of the either the opening window or the closing window, when there's only an overlap of one hour with you, uh, that you have probably have even more spots than that. But somewhere within that third hour where that line that for the queue is going to be uh, probably down to 15 to 20 minutes and you can really get on. For that, I, I would say if you really want to hit Oga's Cantina, do that right off the bat. The line for that is will grow as it goes on. They will stop the line at many times. They won't allow people more people into the line at, at different times. So you'll need to keep an eye out for that. And if you decide you want to go late, like we were in the, we almost didn't get into Oga's Cantina because we did, were doing so many other things that we just didn't get into the line where they would open it up. We were kind of the last line that made it in. As you get near the end of your window because of the fact that it might be 45 minutes or so to get in and then you only have 45 minutes within there if they don't feel like you you can get out of there before your window closes your reservation time closes they won't allow you in there so if you want if that's one of your goals i would suggest you do that first if you want to get into the droid depot to build your own droid do that if you want to get into sabi's workshop to build your own lightsaber do that because those all have lines duck on dars den of antiquities if you want to get that that has lines but the the big thing I would say is Ogus Cantina is the one you really need to, if that's your thing, uh, get there early to do that. Very cool. Um, did you guys try much of the food in the land while you guys were there? I know you mentioned that you had had a few of the snack items within Ogus Cantina itself, but I, I don't remember if you had eaten anything from any of the stalls or uh, from Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo. We did get, actually, it was on our way out. We actually took it with us so because we were just so busy doing other things. We just didn't take the time to, to grab the food from uh, Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo. But we did grab the Thorian Garden Loaf and uh, the Braised Shack Roast. And they were both delicious. The, uh, the Garden Loaf, which is, it's uh, a plant-based meatloaf, um, but it's it's delicious and it feels very much like meat. It's really impressive what uh, companies have done nowadays, whether it be like the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger or any like that, and how they've made these plant-based items really, really feel like meat. And it's delicious, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, the braised shack roast is fork tender, uh, really had a good flavor, a little bit of a pop of citrus in there, but uh, it, it was really nicely done. I would I would recommend that too. I'd heard that they also served these uh, some uh, smoked ribs there. I'd heard from a couple people that they weren't as big a fans of that, but they said that the chicken dishes are really good there. The tip-yips are, are really good. Uh, I can't speak on that myself, but that's what I heard. Uh, we did do the blue, blue milk. I'd heard We'd heard the green milk wasn't as good, but we did try the blue milk, and we had differences of opinion between Michelle and myself on the blue milk. I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was kind of a fruity, kind of coconutty smoothie. Uh, Michelle kind of felt it had like a little bit of a, a weird aftertaste to it. So, But uh, I, was, I was a fan of it. I don't know if I would purchase it regularly, but I, I did enjoy it enough. And um, we also got some of the, the uh, spiced popcorn from uh, Katsaka's uh, kettle. And I like that a lot. It's, it's kind of fruity, kind of sweet, but every once in a while you get this hint of, you'll get a, a piece with some spice to it. You get a piece with some salt to it. So it's really kind of interesting mix as you're going through this little bag of popcorn. 
Yeah, it it just it's so cool that they seem to have taken things that you feel like they're familiar enough that you're willing to try them, but uh, they've kind of put a twist on it that that certainly makes it feel a little bit different. You certainly mentioned that with some of the beverages you tried, and uh, the food sounds like it was no different. So, very much appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight into what you experienced within that land. Hopefully, this helps folks that are planning on going to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at some point in the near future. Um, as Tom said, you know, the, the advice that, that he's giving out here is certainly just for the, the period of time where you're working with these reservation windows. And it's certainly going to be something that changes once they open it up and go to a system where you're going to have to essentially sign up for access to the land at some point early in the day and, and basically be called back for your reservation when it comes uh, comes open. But uh, that will be another uh, conversation for another time. And uh, is there anything else you want to mention before we close out this segment? I will just want to suggest one thing that you could get there. And it's basically, uh, it's, it's a, a memento you can get from this land. And you may have seen it online anywhere. But if you go and get the uh, Batu and Spira gift card, now it's, it's really cool. It looks like uh, a card or some sort of metal piece that would have been something out of Star Wars. Um, and, and you get it and you, you have to put a hundred dollars on this gift card, but you get this cool memento and you can reload it whenever you want and you can spend it throughout the land. You can spend it through anywhere on Disney. Um, but it, so basically you're putting a hundred bucks in, but you're, you can spend that hundred bucks any way you want. So you're not losing any money, but you get this memento. So it's kind of like this, this free souvenir that you're, I mean, it's not free. You're putting money in it, but it doesn't cost you anything extra to get it so highly recommend that they're going fast i i don't know when they'll if or when they'll sell out on any day that they're when you're there but uh you can purchase it at the droid depot and i uh, highly recommend it yeah i really appreciate you picking up one of those for me uh when i saw that they were out there i immediately venmoed some money to tom so that he could pick that up and i appreciate you guys doing that uh, I I certainly wouldn't be shocked if if they go through some stretches of time where those are going to be unavailable just due to demand. But my understanding is they they will work really at any of the Disney parks. So uh, it's going to be pretty cool being able to pull that out at Walt Disney World. We're going to be down there uh, in about a week and a half, and actually going to be running running into you and Michelle there to spend some time. So looking forward to that. But uh, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and talk with us about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and your experience there. Uh, if there's, if you'd like to give your information about your podcast out to our listeners so that they can find you, uh, and I believe you have some additional information you might want to tell them about uh, in regards to another venture that you guys are getting into in your second year, uh, please go ahead and do that. Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. And always love coming on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, oh, yeah, the Hyperion Adventures podcast. That's our main podcast. We just, as Rob said earlier, celebrated our one-year anniversary show, and it just happened to coincide with our trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So we, we talked a lot about that on the show as well as kind of celebrated uh, our year in the past and talked about what's coming up on our show in the future. And if you want to find us, we're all over pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We're on Podbean. Uh, anywhere you, you can really track us down. And if you want to follow us socially on social media, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Cast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Now, the other thing you're 
talking about is, yes, we've just launched a brand new sort of member of the Hyperion Adventures family, and that is something that we're going to do. I have a little bit of a culinary experience. I went to culinary school. So we've decided what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the Disney dishes that you know. So like, say you go to the parks, and there's a certain dish that you always get whenever you get to the parks. Well, we're going to bring that recipe home, share that recipe with you, and I'm going to recreate those dishes, kind of let you know how to do it in your own home. We're going to do it with, of course, a written blog and some photos. Eventually, we're probably going to add some video as well to kind of help you along the way. So every once in a while, you can just bring a little bit of that Disney Parks feel back into your own kitchen. And that's website. It's now up, and we've just done uh, Morimoto Asia's Hoisin Sticky Spare Ribs, which is an amazing dish, and you really should try to do it in your own home. Or if you're out there at Disney Springs at the Walt Disney World Resort, go try it for yourself from the the originator of it. Uh, But that website is DisneyDishesBlog.com. Again, DisneyDishesBlog.com. And we're all over social media on Twitter and Facebook at DisneyDishes and on Instagram at DisneyDishesBlog. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to hitting you up to uh, add some dishes maybe that are Star Wars themed as well. uh, Now that, you know, they're certainly under the Disney bubble as well, whether it's items that they serve within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge or uh, maybe get mentioned in some of the films or TV series, etc. So uh, we'll take a look at whether we can make something like that happen. But uh, certainly uh, much appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I'm super excited to uh, get a chance to get out there in September and experience that hopefully with you guys. And I look forward to uh, hearing more about your experience after you guys go in June. Yeah, we're very excited to go back, and we're more excited to be spending time with you in just only like a week and a half until we see you guys at Walt Disney World Resort and then, yes, Disneyland and who knows, a lot of other stuff coming up. Uh, We're really excited to spend some time at the parks with with you and Kim. Yep, and uh, one thing I do want to mention is that, uh, you know, even if you're just a Star Wars fan, you're not so much into the Disney side of it, definitely check out Hyperion Adventures podcast. They've been doing a series called Remembering Star Wars. Uh, I've been guesting on that, and we are basically uh, doing one Star Wars film per month leading up to Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker in December, and we basically sit down and kind of hash out all the information about those Star Wars films, uh, where we were when we watched them, what we remember, uh, cast members, and kind of our thoughts on each of those films so that's a great series and i very much appreciate you guys having me on to guest for that well we have had a lot of fun with that for sure we've done we've gone through the prequels already so if you want to go back and listen to those we've gone through all the prequels this month we have solo coming up at uh some point i don't know exactly we need to work on our schedule to make sure uh, when we're going to do that but sometime in the next uh, two three weeks we're going to get together with rob and uh, break down solo a star wars story Great. I much appreciate you coming on, Tom. Thank you so much. And I'll let you go so you can continue on with your day. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. So very special thanks to Tom Howell once again from the Hyperion Adventures podcast for coming on and talking with us about his experience at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out there at the Disneyland Resort. Uh, It's actually a pretty light news week this week uh, for things outside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And given that we've already covered that throughout the show, uh, I'm not going to drag that out any further. But I did want to take a couple uh, quick moments to thank one of our listeners who reached out to us on Instagram this week uh, under the name of The Jake Nielsen. And he gave us a really nice message uh, that I did want to relay. Uh, He said, uh, sup fam, I just wanted to reach out and let you know I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I work grave shifts on the weekends and that's when I listen. You mentioned Thrawn in one of your episodes, so I bought the audiobook and it was amazing. Thanks for the recommendation. 
Now I can listen to the podcast until I get the next Thrawn book in a couple weeks. I guess what I'm saying is keep it up. I love the podcast. So I just wanted to give a special thanks to the Jake Nielsen out on Instagram. I really appreciate getting the feedback on the show. Glad that you're enjoying it. And uh, this is really what we do this for is, uh, you know, to provide entertainment for people out there. Uh, In some cases, it's for people who've been Star Wars fans for years. In other cases, it could be people that have just a uh, passing familiarity with the Star Wars universe and are interested in learning a little bit more. Uh, And in some cases, it could be uh, younger kids who are just getting familiar with the Star Wars universe and really want to know more of what that has in store for them. So, uh, again, we are here to serve you, our listeners. And if you ever have any thoughts about what you would like to hear us talk about on the podcast, please reach out to us. We can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. We love hearing from our listeners, and definitely if you have anything that you'd like to know more about, please reach out to us and and let us know what that topic is, and we will make sure to address that on a future podcast. So uh, again, for this week, this is Rob. Thanks again for listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review or mention us to a friend so we can grow our subscriber base. And uh, it's going to help really everybody. Uh, As we get more and more listeners, we're going to get more and more feedback on the types of things you want to hear about. And it's going to just lead to better and better shows, hopefully, in the future. So again, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.